Well, we are right back in the Psalms this morning. Um, last week we were looking at a Messianic Psalm, Psalm 45. That was where uh, God was, as the, the groom, going to prepare a place for his bride and uh, going to, to, to make a place that, that he would go and bring us back to himself. And we saw the, the, the ideas that, that Jesus um, fulfilled the sacrificial and legal requirements of the law of Moses. Uh, this morning, our, our psalm is, is another messianic psalm, although it starts as, as a lament. We're in Psalm 102 this morning. And, and, and it, starts, it starts out with just this kind of pure, raw emotion. You know, imagine taking one of your darkest days and recording all of your thoughts for posterity. That's, that's kind of how our passage starts this morning. It's very intimate and real. Uh, and so if you would, let's turn. We're going to look at Psalm 102 this morning. So, so turn there in your Bibles. We're going to read the entire chapter, although I will not ask you to stand. Um, let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we just ask right now that you would open our eyes to your word, that we might hear the words that you have for us today, uh, that, that your, your word would come alive, um, that we would be filled with, uh, with hope, that we'd be challenged. Um, pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 1 and 2, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger... For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You were remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise." When peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. 
Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. As we, as we read this at the beginning, you know, this is not some type of sort of manufactured conversation with God. You know, this, is, this is real. There's, there's real emotions there. It's full of desperation. And, and we might even look at it and say, this, this guy's kind of depressed, right? Uh, his bones are burning. His heart is struck down. He forgets to eat. He withers away like grass. Do not hide your face from me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. These are words of real desperation. And yet as we read, we understand that there's a difference here between questioning the actions of God and questioning the character of God. And what he's doing is is questioning the circumstances, the situation that the psalmist finds himself in, but he's not actually questioning the character of God. It was possible to do that. You know, we can ask those hard questions of God. We can ask questions like, where are you? Why won't you answer me? Why would you allow this to happen? See, God is big enough for our pain. He can, he can handle the hard questions. Now, oftentimes we don't get the answer that we want or, or even the answer right away. But he wants us to come to him in times of doubt and fear because it's not sinful to ask God questions. It's not sinful to be in search of answers. He understands our struggle. He's acquainted with sorrows. Now, I got one of those texts this week that you never want to get. Okay, it was, it was, I was out to eat. It was lunchtime on Tuesday. Remember that. Tuesday, Valentine's Day. And I get a text from my wife that says, where are you? And I, I text her back, well, I'm, I'm at lunch with Randy. Uh, what's happening? So, oh, that's all. Like, uh, what do you mean? Well, um, the girls and I got dressed up and we went to your office because you always take us out for lunch on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Going, huh. Okay, somehow for, for, we've been married now 10 years, and I just happened to forget, oh, right, this is, this is Valentine's Day, right? Um, Randy just said, hey, do you want to go to lunch? I'm saying, oh, sure, let's go. And, uh, and they showed up, and, and, and there I am out eating a big, fat, juicy hamburger, and, and my wife and my girls are dressed up all pretty, and they're, and they're waiting in my office um, for me. So, you know, what did we do? We finished our lunch. We went back. I took them out uh, for, for my second lunch of the day. Um, <laughs> They were not super thrilled, but they were glad to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, how could I have forgotten? How could I have forgotten, you know, today of all days, right? I should have thought, oh, isn't there something you're forgetting? Um, you know, you got four girls at home. Uh, you know, you would think that this would be on my mind. Next year I circled uh, uh, the 14th of February, you know. Um, happy birthday, by the way, as well, so. Yeah, um, 
God isn't like me. Man, isn't that great? <laughs> you know, God, God is capable of handling those hard questions, those tough questions. It's not like in our, in our pain, in our despair, we're praying to God, and he's like, darn it, I forgot about him, right? Uh, I, I just slipped my mind. I, I forgot about all that stuff that you were going through. No. God understands our situations, and he sees us, and he knows us, and he loves us. And when we pray, when we cry out to God... He's ready with an answer. He can handle the hard questions. We don't surprise him. See, in his pain, the psalmist is never doubting the goodness of God. He asks the hard questions, but he's not questioning the goodness of God. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning, remembering remembering who it is that we worship and who it is that we serve. Who is it that we praise? How is it that that we can oftentimes come to God in utter agony and despair and walk away singing the praises of God? How is that possible? Because although Psalm 102, it starts with darkness and gloom, it ends with these glorious rays of hope. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it's like the whole composition can be compared to a day which opens with wind and rain, clears up at noon, it's warm with the sun, it continues fine with some intervening showers, and finally closes with a brilliant sunset. We might, we might just call that a typical day in Alabama, right? You know, starts out cold, maybe you get some tornadoes, by the end of the day there's a sunshine and rainbow. Um, this is kind of like our psalm this morning. So who exactly is it that we worship and who is it that we serve? And I'm sorry to tell you that this morning we are not going to be um, coming up with some new ideas about God. Okay? Uh, There's there's not going to be any groundbreaking theology happening from the pulpit this morning. But you know what? I don't think we really need that. If all we needed was the facts about God, our Bible would be a lot smaller than it is, wouldn't it? You know, think, we, 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 sang, we did the Apostles' Creed earlier. How long did that take us to say? Maybe like a minute. Um, if you think about you know, more facts about God, we can look at like the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, and there's about 12,000 words. Your, your message this morning is like 3,000. So you, know, you, can, you could read that in about an hour if you want just, just the facts about God. But, but the Bible doesn't just give us the facts about God and that's it. You know, in, in here, we, we have about 750,000 words. 750,000. If you were going to read it at a, at a normal pace, straight through, if it were possible, it would take you about 50 hours of straight reading to read the Bible. And, and see, we live in an age with an incredible amount of facts. They're, they're everywhere. Okay, go on social media. You'll read something new every day. Um, you can find facts that you never knew were facts and other facts that discounted the facts that you read just a moment ago, right? Um, th- there's, there's more facts out there about pretty much everything that, than has ever been before. But Scripture isn't just about the facts. Uh, scripture does give us a lot of information about God. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but as we read it, and as, especially as we've spent time in the Psalms, probably you're thinking, you know what, I've heard this before. I, I've, I've heard it. Again and again, and we read the Psalms, we read the prophets, and we kind of hear the same things over and over and over again. It's the same facts. And why do we find it over and over again? Well, let's just say that God knows us pretty well. 
He, he knows that there are things or days that can slip our mind, right? That, that we wake up and, and, and we forget a lot of those facts that we think that we know. He knows that we need to constantly be reminded of his character and his goodness because the world that we live in is in constant change and turmoil, right? There are things that happen to us every day. The world is broken and the brokenness is constant. And yet it's so easy to know the facts and to forget the truth. You know, how often do, do, we, do we leave church after citing these, uh, the, the amazing creeds, listening to an awesome sermon, uh, reading the word of God, and yet on the way home we're cursing the guy in front of us for cutting us off in traffic, right? Um, just because we want to get to lunch a little bit faster. Uh, so often I'm, re- I'm reminded of this, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, how, where's the disconnect, right? I know all these facts about God. And yet when it comes to understanding the truth, to remembering the truth, so often we fall short. It's, not just, it's not, not just me. It's not just you. We find it over and over again in the Bible. We see guys like Adam and Moses and Abraham and David, the guys that knew God the best, constantly were forgetting the truths about God. Constantly forgetting the truths. So here in Psalm 102, we're going to be spending most of our time in the latter portion of the psalm, where we're reminded about some truths about God. And, and this psalm is actually quoted in Hebrews chapter 1. And, and in fact, Hebrews 1 is sort of telling us that this psalm isn't just about who God is, but this is in fact about Christ. This is about Jesus. So we're going to learn four truths, or not learn four, because you know these already, but we're going to go over four truths about who Jesus is this morning. Here's truth number one. He is the creator. Jesus is the creator. Look there in in verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the agent of creation. And we see this over and over throughout Scripture. We read about it in Hebrews. We see it in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ was there when? From the beginning... He made all things. All things. This is who Jesus is. If you're Jehovah's Witness, you have a little translation error in your Bible uh, with John chapter 1 1. They say that Jesus was a God and not Jesus was God. That, that kind of turns into a problem because then they say later that he's not really the God. Um, and, and so, you know. That's sort of an issue, that he's not really fully divine. Well, not only do we, do we know that he's divine, but we know that he was actually with God in the beginning as an agent of creation. And Colossians 1.16 says of Jesus, it says, For by him all things were created. Again, the same idea. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created for him and through him. So Jesus created all things. Visible, invisible, anything you can see, anything you can't see. Who created it? Christ. That's our first truth. 
Here's the second truth this morning, is that Jesus is the Almighty One. He's the Almighty One. If you look at verse 18 through 20, it says, Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. And not only is he the creator, but he is still sovereign. He's not the watchmaker who just twisted the clock and let it go. But he intervenes in this world. There's no greater example of this than when God put on human flesh and came, when Christ came to earth to intercede on our behalf. Do you remember what the disciples said to Jesus after he had calmed the storm or said about Jesus? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus is the almighty one. He has power over the wind and the seas. He has power over sin and death. And there's nothing in our life, there's no difficulty, there's no enemy that could, that could do anything to take away the power of Christ. You know, Jesus is on the throne, no matter the situation, no matter the, 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 the current reality of your life, no matter what is going on, Jesus is sovereign. He is the Almighty One. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He can take our sinfulness, our brokenness, our uncleanliness, and he can redeem them. It says that he heard the groans of the prisoners and set free those who were doomed to die. Brings us to truth three. Jesus is unchangeable. He's unchangeable. Verse 26 and 27 there. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. You are the same, and your years have no end. Now, Benjamin Franklin was uh, kind of famous for talking about, uh, about constants. And when they created the, the Constitution, uh, these were his words, and you're probably familiar with the latter half of them. He said, our new Constitution is now established. It has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except for, am I now? Death. And taxes, right? Death and taxes. Nothing can be certain. And we can add one thing to that list. Nothing can be certain except for death and taxes and God. And as part of God, Jesus is certain. He is constant. He is the same. He never changes. Theologically, we call this idea the immutability of God. God doesn't change his mind. Okay, he doesn't change who he is. His character is constant, and he isn't moved one way or another by the way that we act. Even the way that God identifies himself to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses says, who should I tell them sent me, and what is your name? And God says, I am. His name is a verb. It's a to-be verb. I am. Tell them that I am sent you. Literally can be translated to I am that I am, or I am, or I will be who I will be. This is who God is. He's a constant, unchangeable. 
Who is he? He is who he is. He doesn't change. He will remain. You can count on him to be there because he will always be there. And he will be faithful because he is always faithful, and that's who he is. That is his character. He's constant. We don't have to worry about being let down by him. We don't have to wonder if he will be there because he is always there. Which leads us to truth four and goes along with this I am statement is that Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. It says, you are the same and your years have no end. From Hebrews 1, 8, it says, your throne Oh God, is forever and ever. You know, the world will deteriorate and decay. The day will come when, like that beautiful pecan tree in the backyard that we're going to have to cut down, you know, everything is going to have its time and its season. Everything's going to run its course. It could be tomorrow, it could be 2,000 years from now. And personally, our lives are going to be a lot quicker than that, aren't they? You know, we age, we decay, we grow old, we wear out. Um, a good friend of mine who's not here likes to say, getting old ain't for sissies, okay? It's, it's, it's tough. That, that this, this world is hard. We, we live in these bodies that we're not meant to last forever. And neither was the world. If you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. pretty easy to find. It's pretty much almost the last thing in your Bible. Go to the very end and turn back a page. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 8. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You know, we have a promise from God here that, that heaven and earth are going to be replaced with something better. But again, he is the eternal God, the Alpha and the Omega, literally the beginning and the end. We see from John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, or if we translate it, before the beginning began was the Word, was God. 
the old things will pass away and the new things will be created. But Christ will remain on the throne. He will remain true to his unchangeable nature. He will endure forever and ever. And the great thing is that he wants us to join him. He is inviting us to conquer with him, that we can be his sons, that he will be our God. And it probably sounded pretty good there for a while, and that last verse kind of takes it down a little bit, doesn't it? Not everybody will be with him. We see this list here of those who won't, and and, and honestly, it's a little frightening. Certain things we expect to see, the murderers, the sorcerers, idolaters, the sexually immoral, but, but what about the cowardly or the faithless? Liars. Man, that's a hard list. I think probably we almost all fall on here somewhere. And yet we don't want to be. You know, we want to be a part of this kingdom. We want to be with this creator, the almighty, the unchangeable, eternal God. That's where we want to be. Which brings us now to the good news of the gospel. So turn over just a few pages to First Peter. First Peter chapter one, verse seventeen. And we read part of this this morning as our as our unison reading, but here's here's a little bit more. One seventeen through twenty one. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You know, what do I have to do to make sure that I'm a part of this eternal kingdom of this amazing God? What well, says here to call on him as Father, to believe in him, to place your faith in his blood and put your hope in his sacrifice. So this was his plan, and it was always his plan from the beginning of the world. The plan of God was that he would send his son for us. That's why we read about him in the Psalms, as well as in John, as well as in Revelation, as well as in Genesis, that he is there constantly throughout Scripture, telling us what he is going to do and what he has done for you and for me. So as we go today, don't just memorize some more facts about who God is. But remember the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. He ransomed us from our futile ways with his precious blood. You know, take heart today. Be confident that he's got this whole world in his hands. He always has and he always will. And there is something even better that's on the way. So let's pray. Lord God, oftentimes we know so much about you. 
We understand a lot of facts and figures, but Lord, we miss out on the truths of who you are. We fail to incorporate them into our lives. Ask, Lord, that you would allow us to remember. Allow us to remember your goodness. Allow us to remember the fact that you are the once and future king. Allow us to remember that you have always been part of the plan. Allow us to remember that you loved us so much that you came to die for us. Lord, that we can know that for ourselves, that we can take it to heart so that we can share it with those around us. We're grateful for all that you do. Help us to remember the truths about who you are, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.